and we all have these pictures, ideas of what normal looks like. Mm-hmm. You know, and I was, I want to go to, uh, my, my kid wants to go to this school and play football on the football team and, you know, go here, go there. And it's, it's like, and not that they can never not play football again or, you know, be a part of that culture. Um, it's that, but there's a new normal. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we never know what that new normal is going to look like or how beautiful that new normal is going to be. Absolutely. Because it's full of endless possibilities, it is, isn't it? It really is. Hello, and welcome to You Matter Here, our Minnesota Transitions Charter School podcast, where we elevate the voices of our people, dig deeper into our big ideas, and explore how we show up for ourselves and each other in order to make magic happen. I am your host, Wendy Lorenz Walraven, the Director of Equity and Diversity here at MTCS. My hope is that as we spend time together, we will have an opportunity to explore three key questions. Who am I? Who are we? And who are we to each other? As it is the intersection of these questions that informs the assumptions we make drives our behavior, and impacts our relationships with ourselves and with others. So our first guest today is Michael Derschlag, the director of Peas Academy, which stands for Peers Enjoying a Sober Education. Our Recovery High School is the oldest recovery high school in the United States and has been serving students since February 1989. Peace Academy is a place where your recovery stands a chance. Michael, thank you so much for being here with us today, and I hope that this is the start of many beautiful conversations about how we support young people and adults alike. Thank you. It's great to be here. So without further ado, let's get curious. All right. Michael, would you mind sharing a little bit about yourself and how you joined our MTCS community? Oh, boy. Um, hmm. You know, I first started working at Pease Academy in 1995, so that was actually before we joined or partnered with uh, Minnesota Transitions Charter School. I think how I got to Pease was, well, I was a religious studies major in college. Um, why? I'm not exactly sure. But I fell in love with the subject matter, and as a liberal arts, you know, I was just like, oh, fine, what you like to study, and study it. And I did, not really knowing what I would do afterwards. Um, I moved to Minneapolis after college, and then went on to graduate school thinking like, well, I guess I'll become a college professor. And I was able to go to uh, graduate school where I taught... um, intro classes, and that's how I paid for graduate school, and I learned a couple things. One, I really liked teaching and being with the students, and I wasn't a fan of research. I was good at it, and I was a good writer, but I was like, ah, I do not want this to be my life. So I came back to Minneapolis uh, and applied for a few positions. Um, Pease Academy was one of the places that offered me a social studies position, and when I looked at my offers, I said, you know, Pease Academy is the place I'm supposed to be. And what I can say kind of moving forward from there, um, and I learned, is because I'm a person in long-term recovery, and not having to compartmentalize my life so much mm-hmm. uh, was really important. Um, not that the, rec- um, the place is my recovery, it's really about the student's recovery, but I just didn't have to, I could be a little more authentic in how I showed up. Right, totally. 
So then I, I guess I taught for 11, 11 years and loved teaching. Um, never thought I'd move out of the role of teaching. Uh, I, I, and then I was offered the position of director by the, the superintendent at the time. And I said, well, I can let you know uh, a week from tomorrow. And he's like, no, you'll let you, me know Monday morning. And, <laughs> and, and I let him know Monday morning, and I've been the director ever since. Look at that. I love that. I think, you know, you you highlight a really important point in terms of the power of being able to bring more parts of ourselves into our profession because we do anyway. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right? Um, and so being able to really have something that is powerful for you um, to be able to create a space where young people can have access to that same internal power and then the power of the community that you create at Pease, I think is really, really beautiful. Yeah, it's an, it is important. Absolutely. For me, it's been really great because um, it's finally like it's like a place where there's other people my age that understand what I'm going through. We all help each other, and like at a normal high school, you feel really alone because there's not. It seems like there aren't that many people that are going to meetings and stuff in high school. So. The thing I love is that. Like, in my situation, I moved here without any friends. I had nobody, like, no one, besides, like, my dad and my stepmom. And when I came here, like, I felt, I feel like the staff here and the people here are home. Love for, like, all of us. Yeah, teachers actually care about you. Right, like, it's not like, oh, we're teaching you because we have to, it's our job. Like, they chose to specifically help us and they go above and beyond just teaching us. They're like our mentors and like we can talk to them about anything. Yeah and like before I got here I never had, I never like walked into a classroom teachers like how are you feeling today or something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful place. Michael, could you just talk a little bit about what are some of the barriers that you have seen for young people exploring the possibility of attending a recovery high school? So, you know, as I mentioned, the fear of the unknown and how we're going to be, uh, how are they going to be able to make friends? And when we started in 1989, and the students actually named it Peers Enjoying a Sober Education, just the ability to meet other young people who are wanting to do the same thing they want to do and have the same fears and uh, you know uncertainties and they get to start meeting other people they start having fun and socializing and they just like oh there is a life outside of use mm -hmm. and I'm actually enjoying it more than I thought I would and we kind of start moving forward from there um, so that's really one of the barriers. And, you know, there's, I think there's a lot of other barriers as well. Uh, one of them is really just stigma, um, you know, and I think naivete about what this, you know, substance misuse is. You know, there's, mm -hmm. we're still kind of um, coming out of the 1980s and Nancy Reagan's Just Say No. That right. A lot of people just want to say, well, okay, I know you had a problem, but now you can just say no. Totally. And returning to the public schools or a traditional school for a lot of people just isn't a very good option, and and not a lot of people know that it's not a good option. Just find new friends, and that doesn't right. necessarily work. But the stigma around having to send your child 
or having to go to a special mm-hmm. school, and mm-hmm. I'm putting special school in quotes, right. um, is kind of a hard one uh, for, I think, both the child and the, uh, the student and the parent to wrap their head around. Yeah. You know, and, and actually this one came back, again, um, is somewhat prevalent too, and, and I just heard it yesterday talking with a parent, and, and the good, or a prospective parent, and the good news is as we talk more, she's like, oh, good, I'm so glad you heard, uh, to hear that. But the idea that, oh, I'm going to send my school student or my child to a school where there's so-called hardcore drug users, mm-hmm. that they are, you know, way down the continuum of use, and am I, am I going to be exposing my child to all this use, and there's use at this school. Um, mm-hmm. And what I told I was like, well, you know, there's use at every school. Absolutely. And here at Pease, what we do is there's, the, there's that beginning ground that all of our students are committed doing an abstinence-based recovery, they're, they're committed to not using. And, and because of that, they're not exposed to the same things as they might be exposed to in another school. And we really kind of push away from that idea of um, glorifying past use, mm-hmm. you know, so it, because it's really not about what you use, it's about what's behind the use and mm-hmm. how you used. And I think that is how students connect, and even more importantly, they connect about, oh, I don't want to use anymore. These are the struggles that I have with that. How do I deal with boredom? How do I deal with um, celebration? How all these things. So, you know, schools like ours, like Recovery High School, um, we have those protocols, procedures, safeguards in place that even if a, a reoccurrence of use does happen, we have mechanisms in place to intervene earlier, more quickly, um, to help that person get the, you know, stabilize or get the help they need so they can stabilize and can kind of continue while also maintaining the safety of the whole school. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, when you think about that from the lens of any kind of substance, you know, misuse or abuse or addiction, you're really looking at, you know, something that thrives in the shadows, right? That, yeah. that in that disconnection, in that isolation. And so, when you have an opportunity to have an entire communicate community that is dedicated to creating space to surfacing those those pieces and 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 building those connections within um, with each other, that in and of itself is sort of the antidote, right? <laughs> in, in in so many ways of being able to be connected into, and especially when I think about young people who are trying to discover who they are, oftentimes like in comparison and um, alongside their friends, right? And and in those peer and those social groups. And so to be able to, I think one you had talked about before, about how when we think about use, it, and, and especially as a young person, it's it's sort of like if you use, you're more fun or you're more daring or you're brave, right? That there's all of these sort of glorified pieces that come along with with use and being able to sort of recognize like, Yep, and, and and here's really what's going on underneath that. And then to be able to be in a space where you can just name that and claim that alongside other people who are doing the same thing, um, there's nothing quite like that. No, absolutely. <laughs> you know, and I, I, I've talked to a lot of people. I was like, you know, use and dishonesty walk hand in hand. You know, what, you know, as I sometimes share with families, I'm like, you know, when I say that use, you know, walks hand in hand with dishonesty is that when you're, when you come home, you don't walk in the door and say, whoo-wee, mom, I am high tonight. You just don't. Um, and because you hide it, even if there's not a problem. And, you know, I really try to stay away from, you know, uh, labeling, um, 
that, you know, because, and because it's really for the individual to, you know, um, say, am I an addict or an alcoholic? You know, uh, the DSMV-5 is an adult diagnostic tool that's like, oh, you have a substance use disorder. I know that an adolescent is still uh, developing. And in that development is, like, as you mentioned, just, is, is just trying to find their place. Yeah. And so what I oftentimes hone in on is, like, you have you used, you know, in the past, and it has caused issues for you. Mm-hmm. You know, things were not going smoothly. That is why you're sitting with me right now. And there's been consequences because of your use. And so all of that other stuff doesn't necessarily matter. It's just that you want an opportunity to f- find out who you are mm-hmm. without use. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah, I, uh, one of the things I read recently was I, you know, I'm doing my own research on recovery and, and what does that look like so I can really understand, you know, our, our community that we serve. It's, there was a saying that part of, part of our jobs is to create a life that we don't have to numb from, mm, right? And yeah. to be able to find out what that is so that you can really step into, um, feeling all the things, right? Like that's right. some, that's a lot of the, the function of, of substance use is to numb yourself or to escape or to just feel better for a minute or a few minutes before you start a cycle again, right? right. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, and when, and the, when a, a reoccurrence of use does happen in our community, because sometimes it does, you know, mm-hmm. and, and the majority of our students don't every year, but every, it does. Um, and oftentimes it is because a, a student is experiencing some uncomfortability, some kind of pain of some sort, and, and they just want it to stop. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and so they reach to the familiar, which is use. Right. And, and so we try to work with them on how can you match and, and show up and allow yourself to feel these things, know that it's going to be OK, have safe people that you can process that, those feelings with, um, because as human beings, we are going to feel a, a lot of different things, a huge spectrum of different emotions. And that's what we're supposed to do. Yeah. And some are really great and amazing. <laughs> and we want to we want to experience that true joy yeah. without anything behind it, you know, any use behind it. And, and it's okay to feel sad. Humans feel sad. Yeah. So And that's what makes the joy feel even better. Even better. Right? Is right. because we understand what it feels like to feel lots of different things all at the same time too, right? And I think that is when we're looking at again, sort of use and recovery, part of that is being able to sort of say, like, there's room for all of it and there's room for me to be sad and frustrated or angry and hurt sometimes. And it's a part of my healing and processing to be able to find ways to find joy. And one of the things, you know, I've been at Pease Academy for what, 27 years now, (laughs) which is a long time. Yeah. Which is a long time. (laughs) But anyways, I'm always amazed about what our students share with each other. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, wow, I would never have thought about talking about this things with my peers, with people who, you know, like with anybody. And here they are just openly sharing and finding connection and acknowledgement that, oh, yes, I feel that way, too. Or I've been through that way. And it's just our students are really amazing. They're they're courageous and, and, and daring and and it's powerful. Yeah, absolutely. I know that is um, another thing. As I was, I was at an equity conference uh, last week, and one of the things that um, was said was that in, in the path to healing, we have to be as truthful as we can bear, right? And that concept of how much truth can we bear changes from time to time. But without being able to just sort of, again, put things into a space, um, 
then it can lurk around and squirk around and go into all kinds of places and it comes out anyways, right? That's when it comes out sideways or in ways that we, we don't want. Um, so talking about your incredibly magical kids that, that you have, what is something that continues to surprise you about the Peace community? Oh, gosh. Um, why I continue to show up every single day and every single year is just how real our students are. You know, they... They don't hold back. They and and even if they're scared to share something, they find someone to share it with. Um, you know, I had a young man in my office uh, a couple days ago who's just so hesitant to share a piece, and and it had to do with some what I was seeing as defiance, and he was seeing it as something else. And he's like, I can't sh- I can't talk about that with you. I was like, Okay, that's okay. You don't have to. What about if you talked with Rufus, who is our chemical dependency counselor? I honor that relationship and the confidentiality that can come out of it. Would you be able to share with him and allow him to kind of make the decision about this one area? And he kind of looked at me. He's like, I can do that, right? And I'm not saying it was easy for him to go into Rufus's offices and share, but he did. He did. And that in itself is amazing that he, he was like, I'm going to trust this person. Yeah. And, and he did. And it worked out the way it, it was supposed to work out. And yeah. I was fine with it, mm-hmm. you know? so. And part of what you were allowed, like, making space for was for this person to make their own choice, right? And to say, because that's being able to, sometimes you feel really powerless um, when you're, you know, struggling or trying to make brave and very different choices than maybe you have in the past and being able to to decide when you share, who you share with, and, and what parts of that you share, I think is a really big piece of that. And so recognizing that while maybe your hope was to have that moment with that person then to recognize that there's value in your team, right? That's why you have a team of people so that you can um, step in where you can tap out, where you can um, be there to really wrap around young people and meet them where they are, regardless yeah. of where that is every day. It is. And, you know, and we're a really small staff, we're a small school, but even within that, you know, I want every student that walks in our door to find an adult in our building uh, that they can start sharing with. Mm-hmm. And and that's why I really want to make sure that, to the best of my ability, the people in that in our building who are, you know, working there kind of represent the students that we have. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have a diverse staff and uh, to meet the diversity of our students. Yeah, representation's key, right, mm-hmm. in, in every aspect. Uh, so I have one final question for you. Okay. Um, so... Actively choosing accountability and changing behaviors takes real bravery, like we've talked about, right? And it can feel overwhelming and insurmountable at times. What is something you would say to someone struggling to see the possibilities of a different path for themselves? You know, I think so often we think of, um, you know, substance use and substance misuse as, as a choice, and, and I, yes, I'm sure, you know, when someone, you know, ch- chooses to pick up for the first time or the third time, you know, there's choice involved. But, you know, the more we learn about how the brain works, um, the more we learn that these pathways are created in the brain. And I'm, I am not a 
neuroscientist or anything <laughs> like that. So please bear not with me. one of your me. many hats. It's not one of my many <laughs> hats, right? But, but, but I know that these pathways are developed. And, 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 I, and you know, I was at this uh, conference uh, a few years ago, and it was, it was someone much smarter than I am that has a lot of uh, letters at the end of their name. I like to call them the big brain people. <laughs> and, and, and most of the things he was talking about, I'm like, okay, I think I understand uh, but he created this analogy and he showed a picture and, he, and it was a grass field, you know, long, tall grasses, you know, um, and there was a pathway through it. And he said, when, think of it this way, when you're using and you that every time you come to that path of that, that so-called choice, you see the pathway ahead of you. It's, it's well established. It's trampled down. The grass has been walked over. And that's the path that you naturally choose. I mean, most people don't foray into the unknown, the, where there is no path. And so they just keep going down the, the, the same path, which gets more and more worn, more and more uh, there. And he said, what recovery, what we try to do is recovery, is provide the opportunity, the space for anybody, but we're talking young people, to create new pathways. So when they find themselves at that f- proverbial field, they start seeing the new path that is being established. That is the pathway that they walk through every day. This is the path of not use. And over time, the so-called brain path of use starts filling in, growing over, and, and, and not using becomes easier and easier and easier. It just does. And so that's why we tell students, just hold on, hold on. You know, mm-hmm. it, it will get easier. Um, share about it with, when you want to use, share about it with safe people. And we'll strategize how not to or how to get through the rest of the day without use. And over time, the, the use path grows up and new pathways are developed. And, yeah. and it's, it's cool to watch. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, again, speaks so uh, powerfully to how necessary practice is in all aspects of things, right? And I think the older we get, the less we practice things um, and the the more stuck in in those pathways that we can get. And so um, while yes, it's also it's it's incredibly true for young people whose minds are are really still forming and, and growing, but um, the brain is malleable. We, we, we have neuroplasticity that allows us to create new neural pathways. Uh, all the time, but it does take some intention, it takes some purpose, and it takes some practice. And, and some guidance. And, and I'll also <laughs> say, as I was sharing and kind of hearing you, Sharon, like, you know, going back to one of the earlier earlier questions about uh, what keeps people from uh, seeking out or going to a recovery high school, and part of the, and I, I mentioned stigma, that we oftentimes look at use as a moral failing. Absolutely. You know, and it's not just a moral failing for the individual, but for a parent, like, right. oh my gosh, I failed it. Mm-hmm. And it's not. Right. If, if we think about this with the new science where these pathways have, are being developed, it's just and 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 being reinforced. That's all it is. Yeah. And it has nothing to do with, and we've, you know, good parent, bad parent Absolutely. or good person, bad person. It just yeah. happens. And that's in a very real way. That's why we have a real pandemic on our hand that goes mm-hmm. beyond just the opioid pandemic, that we have a significant pandemic here that it, that celebrates not just casual periodic use Mm -hmm. it's just a lifestyle of use absolutely and it's hard to escape yeah it is and and that that sort of reinforcement is everywhere right when we think about again how um 
all of those pieces are tied to marketing and consumption and, and how, you know, um, that young people and, and adults alike are really, um, it's hard to escape those constant messages and narratives and to be able to say, I'm going to choose to believe something different about my kid and, and, and our experience and really look at this, not from a moral failing standpoint, but from something is going on with my child where they feel the need to change the state of their body and the way that they're experiencing life. And I want to be here to support every step of the way. And, and first I'm going to do that by finding a community that they um, can start to, to see themselves in. Yeah. And we create a, we create a new normal. You know, that's, I've, I've heard it before and parents, I just want things to get back to normal. Yeah. And, and we all have these pictures, ideas of what normal looks like. Mm-hmm. You know, and I was, I want to go to, uh, my, my kid wants to go to this school and play football on the football team and, you know, go here, go there. And it's, it's like, and not that they can never not play football again or, you know, be a part of that culture. Um, it's that, but there's a new normal. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we never know what that new normal is going to look like or how beautiful that new normal is going to be. Absolutely. It's full of endless possibilities. Yes, isn't it? it really is. Amazing. Uh, Michael, thank you again so much for joining us today. I look forward to uh, many more conversations and opportunities to reflect and dialogue alongside with you and other members of your, your team and your, uh, your students, your young people. I'm hoping to get them in here as well. Um, so again, I just I appreciate uh, your time. And for all of you listening, I just I appreciate you tuning in and for your willingness to listen for understanding. That's what it's all about. So stay curious, ask more questions. And until next time, this is your host, Wendy Lawrence Wellerman. Well,